This is the Journey 66 Book Writing Podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book, or maybe you've gone off-road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. There are so many types of nonfiction books. There are self-help books, instructional guides, how-tos, and spirituality books. A popular type of nonfiction writing is the classic business book, in which a coach or consultant writes a book to help grow his or her business. Another type of popular nonfiction book is the memoir that is written from the author's personal memories. A related kind of writing is that of telling the family story, sometimes known as legacy books. These are often a combination of the author's memories, interviews, and other anecdotes collected through research. The reasons for writing a memoir or a legacy book are many. Some people write to understand their past. Others share truths from their past to help others. Still, others write memoirs as a way of preserving their family history. Today, we want to introduce the topic of memoir writing and legacy writing. Why do it? And what do you need to consider before you expose your personal life or that of your families? But first, let's talk about where we've made progress. Dave, let's hear what you've done this week. (laughs) So this last week, we picked up a new puppy. Is that progress? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not so sure. So we have a 13-year-old daughter. She's our fourth child. And we also have already another dog, Dakota. And one of the things we've done through the years is that we've overlap the dogs because when a dog leaves or passes on and dies uh, that's so traumatic for the family and so we had two dogs up until last summer and Zoe died she was almost 13 years old so we thought you know Dakota at the point was now four years old and so we said we really now need to get another puppy to overlap so we picked up the dog on Saturday in northeastern Iowa. We have an English cream golden. Sounds so cute. He oh, is it's cute. the cutest puppy ever. <laughs> and the dog's name is Sailor. How do you spell that? S A Y or S A I? S A Y L O R. So it's a combination of Sam and Taylor. Oh, that's so cute. Who came up with it? Well, originally we we're going to call our very first golden who we eventually named Cassidy, but for about a few hours, her name was Sailor. Then we changed the Golden's name to Cassidy. So that was a dog, you know, many years ago. So we never used the name. So we had Cassidy, we had Zoe, we have now Dakota. And so we named the new pup Sailor. But anyway, so the progress is that in addition to, you know, it's pooping and peeing everywhere is... Yeah. Well, well, that's the issue, right? And so you're, you're doing crate training and trying to get that. So the progress is, last night, she slept from like 10 o'clock to 5.30 and, oh didn't, and didn't bark at all. That is progress because you've been getting up sometimes twice a night. And sometimes three times a night. Oh, my gosh. Every two and a half hours, every three hours. <laughs> it's like having a baby. Oh, oh, truly is. And so that's why Jana, my wife, makes me do it. So, And that's fair enough. So anyway, it's huge progress to so the puppy. Sailor is making huge, huge progress, so I'm making huge progress. Okay. When do just a quick question? When do do how long do dogs typically sleep through the night? What will be a, a full night of rest for, say, Cassidy? How so? Well, for, or, I mean Dakota. Yeah. Dakota. So for Dakota right now, she sleeps. We put her in the crate at ten, and if I get up at 
6.30, or if I usually I get up around anywhere between 5.30 and 6, she's fine. If I don't, even on a Saturday or Sunday that we're sleeping in, we might not, we not, might not get out of bed until 8. I never sleep in until then, but she's fine. Oh, okay. So she'll get there. Yeah. Sailor and, will get there. Yeah, Sailor will get there. And Dakota is so well-trained. All you have to do is say crate, and she walks into the crate. You shut the crate. They love they love the crates. I hear even I don't I'm not a dog person, but I I'm best friends with a dog person, and dogs like crates, and that's surprising to me because cats don't like crates. Yes, dogs do like crates, and so you have to kind of work through this this period when they're crying and running out. You got to work through all that, but yeah, it's great. So enough about puppies and puppy <laughs> do or poo, I should say. So where have you made progress? Well, I'll probably bore you with this one, but we went on vacation last week to Colorado. My husband had an ultimate tournament out in the Denver area, and he um, suggested that we go antiquing on the way out and then on the way back. And that wasn't my idea. That was his idea. But I buy to resell. And so I'm like, okay, that sounds like fun. And my typical way of doing things is on the fly. I'm like, oh, there's there's an antique store. There's a thrift store. Let's stop. And my husband really is a planner. So I got better at planning my stops at least a couple hours in advance. <laughs> oh, my. From on the fly to a couple hours. A couple hours. Yeah. Or maybe sometimes 20 <laughs> minutes. But at least it's not like, oh, I want to stop there. I want to stop there. And we've already passed the exit. So That's awesome. I learned how to share my maps via Google, get them to him so he could take control and get us to where we needed to be. So anyway, I guess that's progress because we have gotten in fights before where I haven't given him adequate directions and we passed the place and he's irritated that I didn't give him enough heads up. So anyway, we avoided all conflict. So that is progress. So Melissa's <laughs> becoming a master planner. Yeah, no, that will never happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's huge yeah. progress. It is. So Dave, let's get back to the topic at hand, which is memoir writing or legacy book writing. What is our first tip for our audience when they're thinking about writing a memoir? Now, this first tip, I think, is for all writers. You do have to tap into the why. Why are you writing the book? And I think it's even more urgent with, let's, let's just focus on memoirs, for example. Right. Why are you writing this book? Is it pure therapy? For yourself. For yourself. That's right. Right. Because you're having to work through some issues that happened in your past. And so, sometimes that's all it needs to be. That's right. And, and you don't need to publish it. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right. And the act of writing is very therapeutic. It doesn't mean that the world needs to read it. Right. If the world is going to read it, I think that's where you have to dig just a little bit deeper and ask, why does the world need to hear about my story? What is it about my story that's going to help other people or influence them in some way? And often when you think about that, there's a connection to maybe an issue that's going on right now. So if you've had some trauma that you want to write about and it's, it's now something that is a theme that is out in society that there hasn't been enough written on it or you feel like you have a unique angle, you can tie that why together to something in the market. And this really does get into the, into the next conversation about who is your ideal audience. Right, right. And so the why and the ideal audience are really tied at the hip. And when you get at that, when you get at the why and the ideal audience, then you can begin to really, really finesse your thesis, which is your topic, 
and then what you're saying about the topic. So how does that look in a memoir? How does a thesis look in a memoir? I think it looks a lot different. And we'll talk about this later in the episode about how it's different specifically. But I think your point here is really well made, which is even memoirs need a thesis. It's just not a string of stories. I mean, we all have a string of stories, right? Right. About our lives. Mine would be pretty boring. Most, if I just, if I just strung together. You could do a memoir about all your antiquing trips and the fun people that you met. That's true. That could be my book. That would be really great. (laughs) Right, like that chatty lady in Kansas a couple days ago. She was so chatty. You could write a whole scene about that, what she talked about, your thinking. And, and why it, she was keeping me from looking at all the stuff on the shelves. That's hilarious. <laughs> one, one thing, if you're writing a memoir, sometimes it's extended family. That's your audience. Right, right. That's certainly true of legacy books. It's a very narrow audience. And, and you may not even need to write a full book. Maybe it's in the form of like a white paper or... A booklet. Or a booklet. That's right. Or it might be a series of videos. So you write it in the form of videos. And the reason why you do this often, a legacy book, is because there's so something so unique about your family's history or um, so elemental to who you are as a family and that you don't want that to get lost in the generations to come. And so you write it down because that's how... Things are passed on now. We don't have oral tradition like we used to have, but we collect memories and preserve memories through written, through writing them down. Just recently, I had someone that I know who he is in his 60s, so he's older than I am, and his father just recently hit 90, and his father was a very, 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 very successful business person, ended up being one of those ultra high net worth individuals. And he found out in just a conversation with his dad, and nobody in the family knew this. There's two kids in that family, plus all these grandchildren. And they never knew that he was one of the people that helped found Orange Julius. No way. Yeah. And he was part somewhere around there and was part of the founding of it, but nobody ever told him about that. So um, I think it was Orange Julius. Maybe it was Minute Made Out Orange Juice. Anyway, it's one of those, right? Yeah. The point here is that if that hadn't come out in a conversation, that would have been lost to history. Right, right. So families do this. So your point here, one of the reasons why someone would write a memoir, it's simply to pass on the story so that they won't be forgotten. I think another reason is, and this is a corollary to that, is just to tell the story of how hard life was. So my father tells a story in 19, I think he was 11 years old, so it would have been 1945. Right. They lived in rural South Dakota, about a mile from this other farm. It was a hot July day, hot, hot, hot July. And the wind, as it often is in the North and South Dakota prairies, was just really high. So high winds, hot. And the family was working cattle in the corral. And so a few people were also in the field, but so the family would get together and work cattle, meaning they might be branding them, they might be putting tags on them. So anyway, this 13-year-old daughter, his, his cousin, first cousin, was in the house, and she um, fell asleep, and the kerosene stove was still on. Hmm. Basically, the curtains caught on fire. And because of the wind and the heat, the house burned down while their backs were turned. Wow, wow. 
And my dad talks about um, his aunt. I mean, there was nothing left. And wow. remember, you're in rural South Dakota, so there's no fire truck coming. Right, it right. It burns to the ground. And she, he said, literally was able to, all there was left was to be able to pick up burnt flesh on her hand. It was, it's the most gory image. Right. But that story is part of, when you think about the hardship that they went through and what they overcame, that's an important story. I think what you're getting at is so true about memoirs is there's the story, but more important is the meaning behind the story. And that's the why. And we've worked with some authors who've written memoirs. And one in particular, he told the story of his Orthodox Jewish um, upbringing and how that translated um, in his life, throughout his life, and his just his, his concern that it wouldn't be passed on to the next generation. But the point was is that his his Judaism, his religion, really influenced the decisions that he made in life, how he committed his life to his work, how he committed his life to his family, and even what he did when he made mistakes in life. And all of that was couched in his, his Orthodox Judaism. So it's not just that he was an Orthodox Jew, but it, the meaning behind why the the meaning behind his 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 faith yeah that's really good what is the what is the deeper layer there what is the meaning it's not a string of stories right that is inherently uninteresting i mean it's just a string of stories and there's actually no tension if if it's just a string of stories right there's right. no tension in the memoir there's no reason to keep reading after that first story right 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 i'm even thinking to if i were to write that story about talking with that irritating lady in the antique store who's just chatty, chatty, chatty. I think the point, if I was writing a book about antiquing, right, and the overall message might be that the quest for antiques is full of unexpected surprises, but maybe in this chapter it would be, but you got to make room for the stories along with those items that you find. And so it means slowing down and possibly being irritated by the person who won't let you look, but you also make yeah. connections along the way. So it's the meaning that you bring to the story. The, right. the story can be charming and kind of funny and speak to the human emotion, but what's the deeper principle? Boy, that's good. That's really good. And when you identify those, then you can put together a memoir. Right. And then you know not only why you're writing, but it actually starts to give you structure for the book. Right. And gives you clarity for your thesis, which we're going to get to later. <laughs> the second point for writing memoirs that we want to make is that you need to ask yourself, do I care if other people read this? Because memoirs and legacy books where you're writing about family can be really personal, deeply personal, and reveal some warts that maybe you don't want people to see. So I could, you've got to really wrestle with what is too personal and what am I all right sharing with the world? I, I just think about this one author um, who is coming out with a memoir. He's a very famous author in a certain niche or channel and he waited to produce his memoir he must have probably 20 25 books to his name but he wanted to talk about his fundamentalism and what he what it was like growing up in a fundamentalist house like a fundamentalist southern home and but he didn't want to do it until his mother died well his mother just wouldn't die i think she's like in her 90s and might have alzheimer's now so he feels okay with publishing the book, right? He has a major publisher that wants to publish it. But in that book, he's revealing behaviors and things about the family that he didn't feel comfortable with 
until she was gone. So this point, do you care if other people read it, does affect what goes in and what doesn't go in that book. And really it's the kind of the salacious, really human personal stuff that makes stories interesting, right? So it's that kind of stuff that's going to grip the reader because if you struggled with it, um, likely it's part of the human experience and other people have struggled with it too, and that's what's going to help you connect with the reader. So those things are what are going to make your memoir interesting, but you have to be careful. Like you said, are you going to be offending people? Are you going to be damaging relationships? Are you going to be damaging your own reputation? Is there something else at stake that you need to be aware of? Are there jobs that you know you might might be influenced because you're revealing something too personal that somebody might not agree with. I think we live in an era where the temptation is to be too salacious. Oh, yeah, good point. And to overtell. That's like the celebrity yes, memoir. Yes, exactly. And there's just things that you that maybe don't need to be in the memoir, right? And it's more therapeutic for you, or it might hurt someone. And you have to be really, really careful about that. This question, do you care if other people read it, affects what goes in that book. It also affects how many copies you're going to sell. So if the only person you care is going to read it is just the extended family, just like the one we did for this uh, Orthodox Jewish businessman, I think he only published, it was an expensive book to create. It was a hardback. It was like, what, 200, 250 pages? 250 pages, yeah. pictures in it. But at the end of the day, he only produced... 50 copies. So he included some pretty personal information in there about having an affair with somebody from the family, and he regretted that immensely, and he wanted to include that as a way to instruct future generations of what not to do. So I don't know if he would have put that in a, in a business memoir, but in a memoir where he's concerned about the future generations, it was applicable. And I thought really courageous, actually, to include that I thought it was really courageous, and this really gets into, I don't know if this is a separate point, but in in a sense, when you're writing a memoir, you're the hero of the story. But if if all you're doing is pumping sunshine about how great you are, it's really the memoir of a a certain president that we once had, (laughs) right? And so there's only a limited kind of people that want to read just all the good things. There's a word for this called... Hagiography. Right, that's a fun word. That should be our word of the episode. It should be our word of the episode, <laughs> but it's this idea of adulate. How do you say that? Adulatory. Adulatory writing about it, about yourself, right? Yeah. So everything you do, you're just the wonderful person. That's that's maybe the opposite of where you have you just expose everything. Right, and that's what I was going to say is that you can be too salacious, but you can talk about missteps in your life that maybe have a salacious undertone without being explicit. So an affair might be perceived as salacious, but he didn't go into all the details. He maybe covered it in like two to three sentences and said, this is one of the biggest regrets of my life. He didn't dwell on it. He didn't talk about the details. So there's a way to talk about delicate manners in a delicate way. The best writing tends to be understated, right? Right. Um, It tends to be working the edges. You know, it's talking about sex without actually talking about sex. It's talking about the affair without actually talking about it. And all the tension related to that. That's right. the good stuff, right? Like right. how relationships were influenced, all the dis- all the cascading pr- problems and decisions that he had to make because of this one bad decision in his life. Yeah, right? it was really powerful. Yeah. I really admire him uh, for putting it in. Some 
you know, his family might critique him as, you know, it was a little bit too late and I'm glad it makes you feel better. But I, right. I thought it was actually admirable uh, that he put it. And I think you cannot be the hero of everything. And you just can't. I think that's a perfect example of somebody trying to work through their past through memoir writing and also using it as an instruction for the future. I think that they kind of go hand in hand. A lot of time memoir writings, you work through a lot of your past stuff, but in doing so, you also have wisdom then to impart to the next generation or to your reader, whoever you're writing this book for. Yeah, that's really good. All right, point three, Dave, what is it? So here's our point. We, we touched on this earlier. Even memoirs need a theme that pulls all the stories together. And this theme, you might call it a plot. You might call it a thesis. They're not quite all the same thing, but definitely um, the idea of a plot. is. But in, even in a plot, you have certain themes, right? But that theme will dictate what goes in and what doesn't go in. So if you think about your life as all these stories, okay, let's start out, Dave, the first memory you have. Well, the first memory I have was my dad buying me a pair of cowboy boots, and they were blue boots, and they got mad at me because I wore them outside, and they were so new. That's a memory I have. I don't know if it's my first one. Um, or when my dad bought me a Shetland pony. So would that go in, in my memoir? Right. So I can start listing all these stories up until my age now, but do they all need to go in the story, in, in the book? That's right. not a memoir. That's just a string of stories. So, so you can't just publish a string of stories. and that's not, that's not a memoir. You're right. That's not a memoir. I think back to this book that we keep referring back to because it's one of our more recent memoirs that we helped publish. And his theme that he strung throughout the entire book was his Orthodox Judaism. I already said that and how it influenced the decisions that he made in his life, how it shaped him as a child, how it shaped him as a businessman, how it shaped him as a friend, as a grandfather, and ultimately why it's important that the next generation embrace this, this, this faith as well. One of the things that really struck me about that book was, was it his father that fled some Eastern European country? It was his grandfather. His grandfather. Lithuania. Yeah, Lithuania, and moved to South Africa, and yet he sold his business to a German company and then went to work for that company and made them one of the most successful businesses in the world, right? I right, mean, right. One of the biggest players in the world. So this idea of this Orthodox Jew whose father or grandfather had to flee because of the war and the Nazis ends up selling his business to a German-run family-owned business and then end up working for them for the rest of his life. And being very close friends. Very close friends with the CEO. And he would say that his faith informed that ability to create friendships even with somebody who would be perceived as an enemy. That's right. Right. And even his ability to part of the book also covered his migration from South Africa, his move from South Africa to the United States. And so I think he would even point to that kind of nimble ability to move to his his predecessors, those his ancestors who made that move to make a better life. And yeah. so it's it's all related to his 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 history, who he is, his identity, his Jewish identity. If you're going to write a memoir and you have that, it makes it immensely easier. Right, right. And some people do a large 
swath of their life. They go, you know, maybe a story from their childhood, a story from their early adulthood, their middle adulthood. Some people do it chronologically, but you could do it as a very narrow point in time of your life too. You don't need to make this an autobiography. A memoir is very different than an autobiography. An autobiography is the story of the writer's life, like a memoir is, but a memoir is focused on memories, a writer's memories, rather than um, dates and maybe historical events, but they're, they're really rooted in memories and, and focused on a narrower time, a period, an event. So I think that autobiographies tend to cover a larger span of time, and they can include research rather than just memories. All right, point number four, and this is a big one and something we've been talking a lot about, and that is the importance of story. Memoirs are story-driven, and this is a corollary to the previous point um, because you have to have ideas when you're writing a story, right? You can't just, it would be very boring if there wasn't a bigger idea at play. So in that sense, memoirs are, are like writing fiction, and there's a plot really around which all the scenes are structured, right? Yeah. And so a scene can include several anecdotes, but um, there has to be movement in the book, like movement from thinking one way to another way, or some, some sort of movement or growth in some way, or progress or something. And so in that sense, memoirs are like writing fiction. And in our previous episode, uh, we interviewed Steve Matthewson on ACTS, A-C-T-S, which is an acronym for action, character, talking, and setting. And, and the word plot is associated with the word A, which is action, right? The story needs to move forward with some destination in mind. And I think as you think about your memoir, think about it like a plot. And, and there's tension within the different scenes and right. ultimately there's some resolution at the end of the book now yes they're story driven but you can make i was thinking about this with uh, wendell berry's book jaybird crow it, you know here's this wonderfully written fiction book but there are sections where where wendell berry just goes off and he he starts to talk about philosophy and life and so at the end of a scene like one of the scenes in the book he's He's walking down this road after he left this dance and this girl that he was starting to date left her and didn't want to have anything else to do with her. And so he gave her the keys to his car and he walked like five miles home. And he talked about this journey on the on this long walk home and the starry skies. And excuse me, the narrator of the book is this is this um, is this barber. Right. So it's the main it's the protagonist in the book. Right. And. And so, but he goes off on this like three or four pages of philosophy and his thinking about God or the way life is or death. So in memoirs, you can do that too. Right, that right. Mean, just because it's story doesn't mean you can't have any explanation or... Making a point. Making a point, right. et cetera, et cetera. So, but it is important to, to think that in general, you're writing, you're really writing a book of fiction. And, and, and so you need to structure it so that it has which we've talked about the importance of tension. In the right, book. or conflict, right? In the, or conflict. What's the, what's the conflict? So the takeaway would be, if you're not a great storyteller and you want to write a memoir, maybe you should start writing some stories. 
before you even start writing the book, just see if you can start writing some stories about your past, about a memory, and really work on crafting that tension and the setting and get some feedback on that. See how people respond to that. Get some feedback on how you might be able to improve it because memoirs are memories, which mean they are which means they are stories. And so you gotta become better at storytelling. We have this idea, and I think it also prevents people from making progress in writing. They have this big goal, I want to write a memoir on my life, but they're not doing any writing. Right. Well, start telling stories in a blog. Yeah. Just tell a story. Tell about the story when you were twelve years old when your father died. And he was watching the Chicago Cubs and he died of a heart attack and which is the story of my my wife. Wow. They were all home. They're watching the Cubs. He was rolled over and and died. We all joked that it was probably one of those years that the Chicago Cubs were choking <laughs> again, right? But but that's a, a vectoring moment in her life. So um, start write those stories. Write take maybe take the one that is the most uh, stuck in your head, the one that's most memorable, and write that story. When you were telling that story, Dave, I liked how you mixed a little bit of humor in with that. And I think that that's what good storytelling does. It kind of melds the dramatic and the humor and taps into all the different human emotions. Even in nonfiction, which this is nonfiction writing too, but it's more story-driven nonfiction. But if you're intense, if the book is intense all the way through, people will just stop reading. Right. So you do have to provide emotional relief. Right. It just can't be intense the whole time through, even if you're doing it on on a really dark topic. In fact, especially if you're writing on a really dark topic. Right. You got to give some break. You got to give some emotional break. Yeah. Yeah, That's great, great insight. So our fifth point is where do you start? Where do you start writing a memoir? I think we just gave you one great idea and that is to just start with your freshest memory or the one that you just can't let go of and just write it in, write it down on your, in a journal, write it on an open document in Word or just start writing it or maybe post it on your blog. Just start writing that first story that you just can't get rid of. A second one would be just to start to list all the stories that you remember that you think are significant in your life. Just start listing them and just go story one. Um, For me, it would be when I broke my teeth when I was a sophomore in high school in speech class. I did a wrestling demonstration speech and I had my friend come up and he was demonstrating the switch and his girlfriend was sitting in the front row. He was trying to impress her and he did the switch and I wasn't prepared. My hand fell out and I, my face hit the floor and broke out both teeth. So that's, that's one of my stories. You don't even have to decide whether it goes in the book or not. Just start listing those stories and maybe a little gist under each one, what the story is about. Right, or what the theme is, or what the application might be. If you were to use that story, what might people learn from it? Yes. Yes, and then the next step would be to take those stories and those gists and to see if there's a theme that can be pulled throughout all of them, a common theme, and maybe it's an oblique theme, but see if there's anything that could tie a set of those stories together. And that might be your book thesis. Sometimes you'll look at all these stories and you'll see some uh, theme. Oh, oh, oh. Another thing will be there's something that you've been wanting to say or write about and you realize you could foist that theme on a lot of these stories. That's so true, Dave. That is so true. 
the idea comes before the stories. Yes. Yes. Because you can shape stories a million ways. A million ways. A story just doesn't have one point. Right. You can tell a fifth of the story and make a point. You can you can tell like with that that story I just told you about breaking my teeth. I could tell you what I told you was just what happened in the classroom. I didn't tell you that after I broke my teeth, I stood up and finished my speech. Yeah, that would, that's a different story. That's, that's about perseverance. That's, that's about, about perseverance. The, that's about the gets, just get it done mentality. And if I told you that, I will talk about that just recently. I had my teeth replaced after all those years because uh, the crowns had, had, finally, had finally gotten too old. But in the process, I had, I mean, there are, there are so many little mini narratives within that larger narrative. But if I only stop there. So my point here and your point is that these stories have multiple points. So... If you have an idea that you really want to get out into the world, that's how you look at all these stories and see how you can shape those stories into a memoir that, that captures that point. And I would say if you start with the idea, what you want to share with the world, it might trigger some buried memories. It might actually Ooh, make good. you remember something that you didn't even remember for you know the past 10 or 15 years you're like oh yeah that was hugely informative in my life I really should explore that and you may have to fictionalize some of it but that's all right nobody knows that right, right. well I, I think all writing is a form of fictionalization right, right you fictionalize right. everything that's what makes it interesting that's what makes it interesting right it, you hop it up and create some tension and that maybe wasn't quite there but it's not lying it's right. just the way stories are written right right and I think that's absolutely true. So I just want to say here that you're going to have probably one major theme for a memoir, but there are going to be some secondary themes that pop up. I think about the memoir that we keep on referring to about the the Jewish man, and one of his secondary themes was pushing the bar just a little bit higher in every area of his life. And that was something that came up in multiple chapters, though it wasn't the prevailing theme. So as you start to think about themes, also start to think about secondary themes, because those will pop up as well. One way to start to think about this is get is to interview other family members about the same story. Oh, that's a great idea. Because that gets their perspective, and it might trigger you to frame that story in a unique way. It's still your personal approach to it, right? Right, right, right. And that's what we did with, with this author. Uh, we, we actually interviewed the CEO, the former CEO of this big German company. Right. And so um, that helped in the, in the writing of the memoir. Absolutely. Use other people. Maybe even have somebody interview you. Say, I need a friend to come over and interview me because I want them to draw out stuff that possibly I wouldn't draw out if it was just me sitting down to write. There are a lot of a lot of us think better than we write. In other right. words, we will think and talk it out, mm -hmm. and we can talk it out. So if you ask me a question, I'll start to go off and tell you the little nuances of my breaking my teeth out. Right, right? and I may ask you, this, the part of the story that interests me is the emotion behind getting your teeth replaced later on in your 50s. One was after, uh, you want me to? Yeah, sure, why yeah. not? Because well, I it was great joy because I had waited because you have four kids, they're all going through college. You know, it's expensive, right? Right. It's, in a sense, it's a... It's a voluntary act, right, to go to the dentist or the orthodontist and have them replace them, and then you have to get them colored, and you have to get them fitted, and then they right. do, I did some uh, veneers on both sides, and but there was a great satisfaction on one level, 
And then I went to my high school reunion and I saw the guy <laughs> that did it. And there was a little bit of resentment and, but yet I still love him. I mean, you've, yeah. you've been a longtime friend. And the, another part of the story is that his wife, who was sitting in the front, because they were a high school sweetheart, she had recently died. Oh my gosh. So there's, all, there's these layers there's of There's so stories, many layers, yeah. But until you just asked me that question, it didn't trigger that. And it all goes back to the teeth. <laughs> it all goes back to the teeth, right. That's my so good. My two great. front teeth. Your two front teeth. Gosh, it gets me excited to maybe write a memoir of my own someday, Dave. What about you? In many ways, the book Death by Suburb was one part memoir of my struggling to live in the suburbs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that nonfiction writing in general, even if you're writing a trade book, an element of memoir in that type of writing can go huge lengths in connecting you with your reader. Oh my goodness. And we say this all the time. You want to sell books, then control what you can control, which is the writing. Right. And the way books sell is when someone reads that book and they've been so moved that they go to someone else. You have just got to read this book I just read. Yeah. And when that happens, that's how books get sold. They get referred. Right. And that is all controlled by the author. And so what you just said, which is adding in that layer of thinking and emotion even in if even if it's a book on business, right? Business books in general are so dreary. I, I mean, they all sell three hundred copies or less. They're just miserably hard to read because they're all information driven. But you can add this element of memoir in that. Oh my gosh! I was just thinking about the book that we helped publish on disruption, and a large part of that book was about the author's experience at big company. Yeah. Uh, each chapter had a little story pertaining to that. So in many ways that was memoir-ish even though that wasn't the point of the story of the book. And, and the thread that was was part of that story was this attempting to create innovation in this gigantic company that you would all know um, and and being at the top. He wasn't the CEO but he was in senior management and not being and not being able to help them. He was thwarted the entire time. That is the theme, absolutely. He could have just written a memoir. He could have just written a memoir, but it had memoir-like qualities or yeah. qualities to it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. yeah. well, I think that's a great note to end on. I hope some of you this week go and write a story. I, I think I'm going to. You'll have to ask me next week if I made progress in that area. You should. You know what you should do is... is is write about that experience we just talked I about. I will. I'll I see if I can make it interesting. Yeah. And that would actually be good for your Instagram. I will. Uh, that will be my That's challenge. That's a great story. And by the way, there's one more point here that I, I want to make is as you're, as you're listing these stories and working through it, you, mean, you mentioned this before, you didn't, not on the podcast, but uh, you wrote it in the script, is that begin to divide the stories that you have into major stories and minor stories. So once you create these lists of stories, which we talked about earlier, Divide them up and start to categorize them, kind of A, B, C them. Maybe A's are the major stories and B's are the, the lessers, right? And, and that will help you actually also organize the book and organize your thinking. And organize your chapters. And organize your chapters. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited for a little bit of memoir writing in our future. <laughs> All right. Let's turn to our words of the episode, Dave. 
I'm using a simpler word this week, Dave, and it's convivial. I was reading this article in The Atlantic called America Has a Drinking Problem, and it basically talked about how in recent years with the pandemic, people have been drinking more and more in isolation and less in social situations. And the author draws on all this research that argues that drinking is actually really good because it draws you together in community when it's not in excess. So drinking is a positive thing, but it's become really bad and led to lots of alcoholism and abuse in, since the pandemic. And so I, I was kind of drawn into this article because I know some people who've been drinking and um, they use this word in the deck, which is convivial. And here is what, how the author used it. A little alcohol can boost creativity and strengthen social ties, but there's nothing moderate or convivial about the way many Americans drink today. So convivial. It convivial. Means, it means friendly, lively, and enjoyable. That's a real positive word. It is, but it kind of feels negative in this. It does. <laughs> because it does. It, it's, it's, it's lacking. So anyway, convivial. If you're at a party, it can have a convivial vibe. Maybe you're at... Um, a workshop, and it doesn't feel like a workshop, it feels like more like a party, it was convivial. So you could use it in a nu numerous ways. What about you, Dave? What's your word of the episode? I just want to say I had a friend who had an alcohol problem. He would drink a case of beer on a Saturday while working in the house, around the house. Yeah. So from eight to five, he, he would down a case of beer. Yeah. He wasn't a big guy, and yet he could, he could handle it. He could still work and drink a case of beer. Eventually, it all caught up to him, and then he uh, went to AA, turned his life around. It's really a remarkable story. But that would be a good example of it's not really convivial. That's drinking alone. That's right? drinking alone, which is the dangerous yeah. part right. of it. Yeah. All right. Okay, so my word of the episode is like yours in that it is not a, a complex word. And so sometimes, I know, Melissa, you have these I words know. that are off the chart. I've never heard of them, which I love. But then we do these words that are just wonderful word. And this is a word I love. It's flop or flopped. It's, it's a word that it almost sounds like, like the meaning. An onomatopoeia. It's an onomatopoeia. Yeah. I was going to say that, but I thought, you know what? I'm not going to say that correctly. I'm going to let Melissa <laughs> say it first. <laughs> so it, it has this idea of moving or hanging in a heavy, loose, or ungainly way. So I'm reading a book right now. I've started to read a book. I just got its book given to me by a good friend. It's called Home Waters. It's a book by John McClain. So John McClain was the, or is the son of Norman McClain, who wrote the novella A River Runs Through It. It's that fly fishing movie with Brad Pitt. And, well, he wrote the novella, and then the movie was created. And, and Norman McClain was a University of Chicago professor. And so it, um, this is... One of his sons, and he's the narrator of the book, by the way, um, A River Runs Through It. Norman is the narrator, but his son, Norman's long gone. He died right before the movie came out, but his son is John McClain. He's a journalist, but anyway, he wrote this book called Home Water. So it's a fly fishing book, right? So here is the sentence in which flop, uh, flopped is used. When the rainbow at last flopped onto the bank, my father's face filled with a kind of rapture and he knelt down, picked up the trout, and held it up, beaming the way God must smile on those entering heaven. So great, Dave. Again, it's such a powerful verb. You think of replacing flopped with landed. 
when the rainbow at last landed onto the bank, flopped has so much more motion to it. So it's one of those instances where picking the right verb brings so much energy to a sentence. You oh. gotta just really think about those verbs when you write. That's a great example of using a strong verb. Language is so important. It matters. It does matter. And we don't mean for you to really agonize over words on that first draft, but when you go back, think about language. Really think, think about, about it. Language. That's right. I think when you add up fresh language in a book, little moments like this, it's what people remember. It's what they use to refer the book. It's what they feel. It's what they feel. Yeah. Yes. It's yes. what they feel. That's so good. Yeah. Well, I think those two words close out our episode, but before we sign off, we want to invite you to take our quiz on the website. Jump on our site, Journey66, that is S-I-X-T-Y number six dot com, and click on the navigational link at the top called Take the Quiz, and then you'll get to see where you're at on the book writing journey. Dave, what can you tell us about what you're learning from people who are taking these quizzes? We've had a lot of people take the quiz, and it's, we found that it's very, very helpful for them to identify what they need next. For some people, they've been thinking about a book, but they don't know where to start. And, they, and then what you get as a result, there's a key that you get. You take the quiz, and then you get this key that helps you sort through what is it that you need next specifically. Then there are those who have started a book and they've lost their way. They've stopped for a couple years, they've lost the passion, and maybe they got stopped because of structure. Yeah, Sometimes that's structure. a big reason. I don't maybe know they never had the thesis to begin with. Maybe they never had a good book thesis. But if they feel passionate about this book, then it's kind of resurrecting um, that passion and and starting over. The one thing I've seen in some of the answers to this is that there's a lot of passion out there that has been lost and people want to get tapped back into it and start writing again. Oh, that's so interesting. So if you feel like you have some passion that's been lost and you have an idea for a book, jump on the quiz and see where you're at on the book writing journey. We'd that's love a, to help you out there. That's a great place to start. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I think that's a wrap, Dave. Well, how about you? Think it's a wrap? I think... It is rap-worthy. Rap-worthy. All right. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write.